Grab out your Bible and something to take some notes as we study God's Word together. Uh, if you prefer digital, we have click on the app and click on this weekend's message. We got a fill in the blank version for you there as well. All the verses and points that we'll cover are there and fill in the blank. If you like analog, you like to just write, you could pull out a piece of paper and your Bibles. We talked about that last week. Whatever version you have with you, pull that out. Let's study it together. Well, of course, we'll have it on the screens uh, as we begin to finish out this series. So this is part three of our series, Bon Voyage. Uh, week one, we talked a little bit about indicators, that it may be time. We know this Bon Voyage, it's this idea of like a vacation or leaving or whatever it is. So week one, we talked through the whole concept of maybe some indicators. It was time to take a break, time to take a spiritual vacation, time to like pull out of whatever it is that's burning us up, whatever it is that's completely destroying our lives, whatever pace we've set. And take a little bit of a break. Maybe some indicators that you are headed for burnout. Maybe some indicators that you are in burnout. And so we talked about that in week one. But we talked about the problem is all of us need rest. That's a general rhythm of life. Uh, not arguing with that at all. In fact, we encouraged it in week one. Problem is most of us treat rest as a time to kind of pull back and just recuperate or like get ourselves pumped up enough to then re-enter the same frantic, overscheduled, chaotic pace that burned us out in the first place. We just treat rest as a chance of like coming up for air and then just going right back into whatever it was that was drowning us. And so I think a lot of us get that wrong, myself included. We looked at that in week one, how it's actually a time to reevaluate some things. It's a time to maybe realign with God's purpose and plan for our lives. That's how we should treat our vacation. When we say bon voyage, we should actually be looking to realign ourselves with God's plan for our life. And maybe look and reevaluate some things that we have put in place that aren't all that healthy for us in the first place. Week one. Week two, we talked about, okay, then where is that information going to come from? Because all of us need a roadmap in life. If we're going to take a trip, we have to know where we're headed and we have to know the steps along the way. Well, the Bible is that for us as believers. It is God's roadmap for our lives. And so we have to spend time in God's word. Last week, we looked at some of those values we need to set into place, how to maximize our time in his word, how to set up ourselves to actually hear the word of God and to read it and to have our time in it and set our priorities straight. I think that's so important for us as Christians. That was week two. So if you missed either of those, you can jump online uh, and catch yourself up. Today, I want to talk to you about one of the most significant decisions that you'll make. One of the most significant uh, choices that you will make in life, and that is simply, who is along for the trip? So if we are going on a voyage, if we are on this trip, this voyage, if we are going, who is along for the ride is so incredibly important. Because isn't it true? Vacations can be amazing. Times of rest can be incredible. Like this can be an amazing moment for your life. The entire journey can be an amazing time. Your life can be incredible. But you get like one wrong person on the trip and it can ruin everything. Come on, somebody. Like you remember, like you are probably thinking right now of some family vacation or some trip you arranged and that one person screwed the whole thing up. That one, come on, how many, I mean, remember like that college friend, you're glad you're not friends with anymore. You're just glad, you're glad that was a season of life and you've moved on. One person can screw the whole thing up. And so we need to make some decisions about our life, about who's along for the ride and who's not taking the journey with us. Who's along for the whole thing and who's not coming along with us. Because if you are taking a road trip, you cram yourself into a car, there are only so many seats. And if you pick the wrong person for the wrong seat, come on somebody, it is disaster for the entire trip. 
And so I want to talk a little bit about the people that we are choosing. Because we like to say here at Victory a lot, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I think that is, the Bible said it first. We'll look at that in just a moment. But honestly, I think one of the most critical decisions we make, and the one maybe we don't ever think anything about. We just think, well, whatever the stream brings us, that's who's going to speak into my life. Whatever happens on the trip just happens. These people are just attached to me, and so there's no way that I could possibly leave them behind. And so they're just along for the whole journey, and they are killing the journey. You understand? So we're going to make some decisions today. I think who's in our life is very, very important. So I want to talk about relationships. If this is the Sunday we sign up for small groups, and this is the Sunday we talk about relationships being important, then maybe we can have a little bit of criteria about who's along for the trip. And honestly, the popular phrase right now is who we do life with. That's how we say it. The people that we're along with, the people that are speaking into our lives and we into theirs as well. People you allow to have influence over you, you should be very careful about who those people are. I'm not saying you can't interact with everybody. Listen, we live in the world, everybody, but the people that are actually influencing you, the people you let speak into your life, I think sometimes we keep no filter on that. And we'll take advice and we'll take influence and we'll take whatever from so many different sources that actually have no interest and no vested interest in your potential at all. But we'll let them speak to us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. First Samuel 14 is where we're going to hang out for most of today. Uh, one of my favorite parts or one of my favorite things to do is to find a story in Scripture uh, and then kind of walk through it with the characters. And I think sometimes we forget uh, some of these stories that these are actual people living actual lives, trying to follow God the best that they can. And so I love to learn from them, from their successes and from their failures. I love to look at their character traits and maybe pull some things that we can learn from in our own lives. So in 1 Samuel 14, it's kind of a crazy story and I like those for some reason. It just kind of fits my personality, but I enjoy looking through these. So I'll set up the story for you and then we'll dive in. All right. We're in a interesting, uh, transitional, but transformational moment in the children of Israel's lives. Like the nation of Israel, uh, they're having this, this shakeup of not only their their hierarchy, not only their centralized government, not only how they follow the Lord, but honestly, they're having a shakeup in their mindset of who they are among the nations. And so up to this point, God has led the nation and he's spoken through prophets or judges. So he sends a prophet, God speaks to them, the nation of Israel follows them and things happen. So God has led the nation that way. But the children of Israel have started looking around now that they've settled. They've kind of looked around at the other nations and they decided, okay, we don't like this anymore. We want a king because all the other nations have a king. And so they tell Samuel the prophet, they're like, go ask God to give us a king so we can be like all of the nations around us. And God's like, that's not really what you want, but I'll give it to you anyway. And so he gives them a king. He has Samuel go and anoint Saul is the first king of Israel. So Saul is working through this idea of what it means to be king because they never had one before. Samuel the prophet's working through this idea that he's the last one. He's the one who got rejected. So he's having some issues of rejection. You can see his emotions are all over the place. Saul's just trying to figure out, okay, what does this even look like? Children of Israel are trying to figure out, like, what does a centralized government and how do we raise an army? And does this mean taxes? Come on, somebody. They're normal people. It's just <clears throat> same questions you would be asking. And so they're in this moment of growing pains and what it means to be a nation, what it means to have a king. And God has already told them, this is not going to end well for you, but they don't care. Come on, somebody. I mean, no people like that. They just don't care. And so they're going to move on with it. And as these growing pains are happening, the 
Philistines suddenly show up, the army, and start to antagonize the children of Israel. If you read the Old Testament at all, you'll notice that the Philistine army, these are, um, this is like the arch nemesis of the Israeli people. These are the, they show up on the battlefields, they show up in the histories, they show up always trying to poke and prod and antagonize. And so they show up at this growing pain moment. And so Israel is trying to push them back, but they don't really have that great of an army. Uh, and the king is trying to figure out what that even looks like. And so Saul has a few troops. Well, Saul's son, Jonathan, has about a thousand elite troops under him. So Saul's off with his 2,000 trying to figure out what in the world to do. Well, Jonathan's got 1,000. And so he overtakes and takes over a Philistine city. And word of this spreads throughout Israel that Jonathan and his troops have conquered a Philistine outpost. This has happened. And so it gives everybody a little bit of hope. They're like, hey, maybe we could do this thing. Like maybe, maybe this king thing and maybe all this, maybe it's going to happen. We're finally going to be free from the Philistines. We have an army. Things are happening. We might finally win. And then the Philistines flex. Come on, somebody. Like they, they get all of their soldiers together. And the Bible says it's like sand on the seashore. That they gather all of their army after this one little victory. And their footmen are everywhere in the countryside. And Israel suddenly realizes. Israel is like, okay, I'm out of here. The people in the army suddenly realize just how many people they're facing. And they split. And so this army, they're kind of new to this, right? There's been no centralized army. There's been no, it's called from the tribes. Now you are part of the one. And so they're out. How many would like an army like that? They're just like, forget this, we're gone. And so most of them just like run. They just run away. And then some of them stay. There's about 600 of them left that stay and say, okay, we are going to stay. They're brave enough for that, but then they're not brave enough to fight. The Bible says they're terrified. And so these 600 start hiding in caves and holes and start just trying to keep away from the Philistine army. It's like the worst game of tag you've ever seen. That's all they wanted. They just wanted like survive. And that's where we pick up the story. We had this moment, maybe there was hope and then it's gone. And then they're with less than they had even before. And everybody's run. And we'll see later. Some of them have even gone over to the Philistine side It's this moment of despair. And Saul's the beginning of his reign. This is going to be an amazing time as king. And it's a time of despair and anguish. So we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 1. One day, so this is while they're hiding in the holes and the caves. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer. So this would be the guy back then they had carry around your stuff, right? He carries your weapon and your armor. Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost. On the other side. So watch this. So on each side, we'll jump to verse 4 just to explain this. He says, the outpost of these uncircumcised men, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. So what was happening where Jonathan and his armor bearer and whoever troops were with them, where they were hiding would be this high cliff. And then there was like this steep drop off, this little ravine, and then another steep cliff. And then the Philistine outpost which would have been like the little army barracks. And so there would have been weapons and, you know, people and soldiers. You understand, this is where the Philistines are. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer are hiding on the other side. Philistines don't know they're there, but they can kind of see this encampment. And he's like, come, let you and I cross over to the outpost. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in your mind, his armor bearer said. He's like, I go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. This armor bearer is like, do everything that's in your mind, let the two of us. And so Jonathan's basically like, we have 600 people, but forget them. What about the two of us 
crawl down this cliff, cross the ravine. I know there's thousands and thousands of Philistines. I know that we can see the outposts. I know that they're like the sands of the shore. But what if the two of us climb up the other cliff and attack them by ourselves? Now, you are not unspiritual if you are thinking this is the worst military plan in history. Like, this is the dumbest thing he could have done. This is not like, oh, there's some hidden wisdom in Jonathan right now. This is like the worst plan possible. And the armor bearer is not like, that's a bad plan. The armor is like, I am with you, heart and soul. Let's do this thing. Go ahead. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over and let them see us. So we're going to go and let them in the ravine, right? Let them say, and if they say, wait there till we come. We'll stay where we are. Like, God's not in this thing, right? Actually, we're going to like run like crazy. This is not in God. God's not in this. But, watch this. If they say to us, come up to us, we will climb up. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now, I don't know about you, but if this is my story, I'm going to be like, if we reveal ourselves and they start killing themselves, that is the sign that God has given them into our hands. Like, if we reveal ourselves and angel armies wipe them out, then praise the Lord, he was in it, right? Like, that was, so he's a little braver than I am. I don't know, I don't understand this thing. So he's like, okay, if they say, we'll come down to you, God's not in this thing. But if they say, come up to us, that is our sign. And the armor bearers like, do whatever is in your heart to do. For nothing can hinder what the Lord might do by few or by many. And so I'm just telling you, so they both of them, they execute this plan. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outposts, like, woohoo, here we are. Like, we're out here, just two of them. And the Philistines looked, they said, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer Climb up after me, he said. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And so Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet. This tells you how steep the cliff is. These are little details I love in the Bible. Like he's got to climb up with like hands and feet just to make it up the other side. With his armor right behind. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan. So like even climbing up hands and feet. He's got like ninja moves or something. Jumps over this cliff and takes them out. Knocks them down. Kills them. The armor bearer comes after finishing them behind him. Just the two of them. And watch this. While he climbs and they finish off behind him. Verse 15. And panic struck the whole army. So now panic. God is in this thing. The two of them only, the Bible tells us, the two of them only kill like 20 people in that first assault. But suddenly panic strikes the thousands. God is in the midst of this. And those in the camp. And those in the field. And those in the outpost. And the raiding party. And the ground shook. And the Bible wants to make sure you understand this. This panic was sent by God. This moment. Jonathan and his armor bearer with the dumbest military strategy you have ever seen in your life. Ninja moves. Climbing cliffs. Making bad, bad decisions. Jumping over this. And suddenly God moves through this moment. And strikes panic in the Philistines' heart. And all of a sudden, he turns the tide for the nation of Israel. And I'll tell you the end of the story here in just a moment. What I want you to see, though, is the nation of Israel is at a point in their history where they need God to move. They need him to do a miracle. This is not like by strength of arms or by their great king who's hiding in a hole in the ground. They need God to move for something to happen they're oppressed by the Philistines. The country's falling apart. And Jonathan and his buddy all of a sudden make a decision. They make a decision to take a step and to do something that on its face looks insane. And God moves and rescues the nation of Israel because of this guy and his one friend. That God works through this moment. Because can I tell you, who is in your life will make or break your life. 
Because his armor bearer had a chance to say some other things that he does not say. Because if your friend came to you and gave this military plan, I just wonder how we would respond. I know how I would respond, and it probably it would not have fit into Scripture. Come on, somebody. This is not a moment where I would have shown brightly in my faith and my, my belief in my leaders and whatever it was. But they make a decision together, and God rescues the nation. Your future is dependent on your relationships. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. The Bible said it first. Watch this in Proverbs. Let's, let's go to this one. Proverbs 13. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Do you ever say like, I want more wisdom. I want more of this. I want... Who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now that's harsh, but watch in 1 Corinthians. It gets even worse. Come on. Don't fool yourselves. Bad friends will destroy you. You want to ask plain as it can be. This isn't some like, let's learn the Greek and let's figure out. Bad friends will destroy your life. This will end what you think you are doing for God. What you think will happen in your life for the better. The people that are around you will affect your future. They will either propel you supernaturally or they will drag you back supernaturally. Come on, somebody. They will pull you from the things that God has called you to. But I think sometimes we don't have a filter over the people that are in our lives. The people that are allowed to influence. First thing that we need, I think we can draw some things from this story. First thing we need, if we're going to pick some people in our lives that are going to actually influence or affect us, is you're going to have to have some people that challenge your mentality. People that challenge your perspective. If you want to start evaluating, I'm not saying like put your friend's name up there and start putting them on either side, but maybe do that. Start evaluating the people that are allowed to influence your life. You've got to have some that are going to challenge your mentality. They're going to actually challenge the way you see the world because everybody is hiding in this story. Everybody's in a hole in the ground or a cave or they've deserted or they've gone over to the other side. Everybody that's left is hiding in fear. So what would have been normal for these two guys is to hide. Saul's probably telling them, hey, we'll just hide till they come past. We'll do this like guerrilla warfare. We'll like wait until they come through the woods and then we'll attack like one or two at a time. It'll be great. We'll, we'll make this thing work. What would have been average for them is to stay hidden. But listen to me, mediocrity has never been a part of the kingdom of God's playbook. Staying average has never advanced our calling one inch. Running from the fight has never done anything to advance the kingdom of God. And so these guys are looking at this, they're looking at the situation. And if I could just pull this to our time and our place, I believe you and I have been called We have been called to do things for the kingdom of God. We have been called. If you have heard me preach ever, I will tell you over and over, I believe God has a calling and a purpose for your life. Each one of you, God has something amazing to accomplish for the kingdom of God. I will die on that hill. You have something to do for the kingdom. But it does not start in hiding from the fight. It doesn't start with trying just to be average and meld. The children of Israel, all they wanted to do is look like the rest of the world. And that has never been the calling of the kingdom of God. That we would look like mediocrity or we would look like average. We would just settle in to whatever came along we would take and whatever didn't we would let lie. That's not what God has called us to. And so if we have been called to something greater. And listen, I understand it is easy to settle into uh, average or mediocrity. It is kind of the flow of culture. Because honestly, we don't just accept it. Sometimes we celebrate culture. Like we celebrate average. And we have kind of elevated it to the point where if you can just achieve that, then man, you have achieved everything and you can go home and sleep. That's how we have averaged this thing. And we have celebrated. I actually had a flashback moment this week. 
when I thought about this. And I was preparing for this Sunday, but I kind of live throughout the week. You understand, I don't come out of like a box on Sundays and have this. But I have a rest of my life throughout the week that I'm living. But I had a flashback moment. Uh, where on Friday, we had this incredible pep rally in the academy at the back. It was awesome. If you were there, you missed it, everybody, all right? So I just want to, can I just put a plug for our school, by the way? We are accepting enrollment. And if you have a child that you would love to enroll, to have them here every day, man, that God loves them, that God has a purpose for them, that there is a calling on their life, come sign up in the back. It'll be amazing, all right? So let me just put that out there. Yeah, it's great. That's just a side. But I'm back there for the pep rally. And so it was this amazing circus theme. And they had all this like, like incredible like songs and dances. All the classes are doing. They worked hard on this thing. It was amazing. And one of the parts of the pep rally is the 7th and 8th grade. Or no, the 8th grade players of the basketball teams. Girls and boys. They played against their coaches. And that was just an amazing thing in itself. It was awesome to watch. But they played. I'm sitting there watching because I knew this year that our teams were really good. But I had no idea how good they actually were. And so I'm watching these, I mean, these eighth graders are amazing and they're playing, they're doing, and I had this thought, like, where was this talent 20 years ago? Come on, somebody. Like, where was this? Like, I'm watching, because when I graduated high school, a buddy of mine called me and he was like, hey, you want to come coach the seventh grade, sixth and seventh grade girls basketball team? And I love sports. You understand that. I've always loved sports. I want to try my hand at coaching. And I was like, absolutely, I will be there. And now we had three good players and 12, God bless their little basketball loving hearts. Come on, somebody. It was like, it was, it was a moment. And I don't know if you know this, but sports back then, I think they still are, but sports back then were corrupt. Come on, somebody. Like we were in a church school league and I swear to this day, other teams were paying players to come and play for them. Like they went and got like an eight footer from Lithuania. I don't understand how this happened. And we're putting our kids out there because this is sixth and seventh grade. So it's like when you're learning the fundamentals and you're having fun, except we're not having fun because we're losing by 50. Come on, somebody. I, I promised myself I wouldn't have a moment up here. I'm like, like, no, that's not the direction we play. Like that is our half of the court. Like, no, you I, that don't put it in our goal again. Like, stop, like, just stop. No crying. Just listen. It's just a moment. It's just praise the Lord. And I am, I am thankful for that. I am thankful for that moment in my life that I learned patience and steadfastness and learning how to love these students who were really trying hard, but were horrible at basketball. I'm okay with all of that. What I hated the most though, is at the end of the season, we used our team budget. We decided, and I was a part of this decision and I've regretted it ever since. We decided to use our team budget to buy medals for all of our team. Come on, somebody. Because Lord knows we weren't winning trophies. We were not winning nothing. And so we gave them medals. Here you are, Susie. I know you didn't come to half the practices. And I know you scored on our goal more than theirs. And I know that like you cried half the game. But here's a medal. I hope you feel good about yourself. I really do. I hope... What is wrong with this picture that we would celebrate? Listen to me. I, I'm, I praise the Lord. I'm, I'm over this. I'm, I'm going. That's just not. Listen, Susie didn't need a medal. Susie needed basketball lessons and a backbone. Come on, somebody. That's what. <laughs> Listen to me. God's not handing out trophies for mediocrity. He's not. He's not sitting at the end thinking like, I know, I know, you know, you, you shot. Because we, we think this. And honestly, it seeps into every area of our life. The Bible is very clear about the things that we put on that conveyor belt at the end that goes through the fire. The things that we have done, we heap them up and they all burn away. God's not handing out medals for mediocrity. Now, I am 20 years ago. You want one of those? Come meet me back there. I will give you one. But that's not what we're doing in the kingdom of God. It was never your calling to stay average. God has called you to do something for his kingdom. And I promise you, 
you got to get people in your life that will challenge the status quo. People that will call greatness out of you. The people that you surround yourself with. If they are not calling your potential and they are not seeing what God could do in your life. They're not stretching you. They're not calling you to that. Then I promise you, you have to get new people around you that will see what God is doing. Or your future will not stay intact. You got to have that around you. It starts with a vision of what could be. And parents, by the way, this is as parents, you are called to set some vision for your kids. That right now in their lives, at this season in their lives, I'll just go on this for a moment. At this season, you are called to call out greatness in them. They may not see it, but that's what we are called to see potential. Because I promise you, this generation that's growing right now, they are some of the most intelligent, connected, well-enabled. They are the most amazing people on this planet. And they can do incredible things for God. It is going to be, I cannot wait to see what God does through this next generation. I cannot wait to see. They will go further than we ever went. They will do more than we ever did. The gospel will spread faster than anything we could ever do. If we can just get the right people around them. If we can just set some vision for them. Problem is, too many of us are setting a vision of the rec room and a video game until they're 45. Come on, somebody. We got to set some things. Now, my name is Ben, and I love you. I just, I'll step on your toes. I just want to give you a little bit of truth today. We have to set some vision. We have to begin to set some things to speak greatness into their lives. And I promise you, that is one of the greatest things you will ever do as a parent. Now, we can get the right people around them. It's why we put such an emphasis on our kids' ministries, on the nursery, on kids' zone. All the way up to the youth and the college. It's why we have, it's why there's volunteers right now that are praying over your kids, blessing them, sticking stickers on their forehead, just praying greatness, telling them God loves them and has a purpose for them. It's why we put, because they are the future. They're the future not only of this church, they're the future of our nation, they're the future of our world. We have to put some vision in front of them of all that God could do in their lives. It's going to be amazing to see. You got to put some people around them. You got to have some people that speak into the men you were made for more. And the same is true for us as well. The people in your life that would come around you and say, hey, you were made for more. Hey, God has some plan for your life. God has some vision for you. I see that. I see that in your life. You got to have some people around you. Second thing we need in this passage is people who will stretch us spiritually. People who stretch us. I love the fact, by the way, this is just an aside. I love the fact that Jonathan feels safe enough to come and like give this God-sized, this crazy idea. Even say it to his armor bearer. Like, he, I love that he's able to even share. Hey, I got this crazy idea that maybe the two of us can go take out the Philistines. And honestly, I think this is where a lot of us get, not messed up, but a lot of us get off track in our life of faith. Jonathan says, hey, why don't the two of us go over and fight the whole army ourselves? And then he says this interesting word. He says, and perhaps, perhaps, that's literally the word he used. Perhaps God will help us. You ever have anybody bring you like the craziest idea in the world? Because I don't know, we we know the Christian terminology. And so we come up with ideas like here, I'm going to step out in faith and God's going to move. I'm going to step out in faith and God's going to do the rest. I, come and join me because God is in this thing. We, we know the terminology. Jonathan's like, how about we go fight these thousands of soldiers and perhaps God will move. Perhaps it will happen. Now, if I'm the armor bearer, I'm like, bro, you want me to risk my life? You're going to have to come up with a whole lot better than perhaps. Like, I'm going to need you to have talked to Jesus himself. I need you to like come back with eight, thus saith the Lord's. I'm going to need to see an angel and we're going to wait for 21 days of prayer and fasting to like pray this thing through. Perhaps you come to me with perhaps we are going to die. Perhaps we will die. That's what I would. 
His armor bearer, I'd have been like, can you give me some guarantees? He's like, who knows? Maybe we go fight them and maybe God helps us or maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe it will happen. And his armor bearer, the reality of faith is lived in that realm. So many of us want faith to be this thing. Well, I will do something great for God as long as I am guaranteed personal success. That's not the way it works at all. That's not what faith is. Faith is this step of trust. And I think sometimes we get disconnected. I think sometimes we get disconnected even from like the heroes of faith and their stories. Because we like them, but nobody wants to live them. Come on, somebody. Like we all like the story of Noah. Noah's out there building a boat. We love the story of Noah saving the animals and saving humanity. It's this great story of the flood come. Nobody really connects with the idea. Noah spent a large chunk of his life building a boat in the middle of a field, telling everybody a flood is coming and it has never rained before. Like never. He has to have this concept of like world destruction from a thing they've never seen and building the boat. Or Moses, you think about his step of faith. Moses, he's told by God, go and rescue my people. Go before Pharaoh and tell him to let an entire nation go, entire labor force gone, out of captivity. And God's like, Moses, yeah, you go tell him. Go tell him, Moses. Moses is like, you go tell him. Come on, God. Let me. You, you read the story. That's just the ad-lib version of it. And so finally God tells him, you go and talk to Pharaoh, the greatest ruler of the world. And tell him, let my people go. And then Moses, when you're there, do the thing I told you about. Do where you chain the rod into a snake. And Moses has to walk before, you connect with these stories. Moses has to walk before the greatest ruler in the world. Tell him, let my people go. And then he has to drop the stick. No guarantee this thing is even going to turn into a snake. We forget this. Like it happened back at a burning bush. Moses is standing now where they're going to kill him. And he has to drop the stick. That's where his interaction begins and ends. He has to drop it. He has no way to turn this thing into a snake. God has to move. He doesn't have like a secret snake button on the stick, right? You understand this. Like snake. And it happens. He's trusting. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be if he throws the stick and it doesn't turn into a snake? Like you ever think about that? Like he's like, let my people go. And he throws it. And he's like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> and, he's like, and everyone's looking. And he's like, Next time I'll hit you with it. I don't know. We'll do something. This moment in his life, yet Moses' destiny and the future of the children of Israel laid after that moment. You understand? And Moses' interaction began and ended with dropping the stick. It's when God had to move. But we disconnect ourselves from these moments of faith. And some of us today, we need to take a step. Some of us today, God has called us to do. There are uncertainties about it. And oftentimes we let those hold us back from the destiny God has for us. That the realm of faith would be lived in this realm of perhaps. You've got to have people in your life that help you take this journey. That say, hey, I know it's a scary step, but you've got to take it. You don't need a bunch of people around you that are just like, yeah, you know it is scary. Maybe you shouldn't. I've got no reason for it. I just feel like scary things should be run for you. You've got people in your life like that. They are holding you back from what God has called. You've got to have people who can accept some God-sized dreams that he has put in your life. If we're looking for these things to stretch you spiritually. Number three, jot it down if you're taking notes. You need people in your life who will support you wholeheartedly. I love this part of the story. You, I, no, I'm not, people that will support you. I'm not talking about like surround yourself with a bunch of yes men who just say yes to everything. You need some people that will talk to you in your life before you do something that will harm yourself. You got to have some people. But at the same time, you have to have people that will actually realize the God-shaped dreams that have been placed in you. That will support you in those. That's what I love about the armor bearer. He's like, hey, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan wouldn't have this story in scripture if it wasn't for the armor bearer. 
He's like, hey, I am with you. I am for this. Now, in my holy imagination, I like to believe that Jonathan probably prayed, because this is how I would pray. He probably got this idea from the Lord. And he's like, God, this is a incredible idea. And it's a little bit crazy, God. I'm, I'm just, and I'm going to need somebody to help me pull this thing off. And so I'm really hoping that he says no. Because then I'm off the hook. Come on, somebody. Like he probably, <clears throat> if I'm praying this prayer, I'm like, Lord, I tried, but he said no. Lord, I, I really believed in what you gave me to do, but I asked my buddy and he wasn't in it. So I don't know what you want from me. He just, he won't come. But his armor bearer, watch his reaction. He says, heart and soul, I am with you. And Jonathan's probably like, okay, now we have to actually do it. Now it has to happen. You know, like, he's got this guy 100% willing to jump in. And I'm telling you, you got to have people like that in your life. And I think some of us, I wouldn't say we undervalue. I think some of us need to value ourselves and our potential a little bit more. Because we have surrounded ourselves with people who don't believe in it at all. And I don't know if I could just speak to you. I have spoken to several people in the last couple of months. And this is just a theme that I just want to speak to for a moment. That I think sometimes we devalue ourselves so much. And we devalue our potential so much. That we will allow anybody to speak to us because we don't value it. So why should they? And we let people influence us to the point that we give up on what God has called us to do. And we let people dump trash on us. That was never meant for us to carry because we don't value ourselves or our potential or our calling. And I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but you got to get people around you that value your potential, that see what God has placed in your life and that support you wholeheartedly. You got to have some people around you that actually believe in you. And too many of us are surrounding ourselves with people that don't believe in your future. They're not really with you. And listen to me, it is not ungodly. For you to cut those people out of your life. I know that sounds harsh. I know it sounds like, well, that's just, that's just not biblical, Pastor. Now, you, you wanna, if you struggle with the idea that it's not biblical, I would remind you, when Jesus was choosing his disciples, the Bible is very clear about the wording. It says he had the crowd. He never turned anyone away from coming to be healed or to be touched or to be spoken to or to learn. He never turned them away from ministry. Let's get that clear. But then he said he had his disciples. This is at the beginning of his ministry that would follow him everywhere. And then in Mark, you can go and read it. It says he sat on this hillside one day and called out of his disciples. So not just the crowd, not just the disciples, called out of those, the ones he wanted. Come on, somebody. The ones he wanted to come to him. And he appointed the 12. And then out of the 12, you read this, like when he gets to Jairus' house to raise the little girl from the dead that has died. Out of even the 12 that he chose, he only chose a few, three that come in there with him. And so he's looking at his own team and he's like, you come with me, not you, not you, you come with me, not you, Judas. We'll talk about that later. You come with me, you, not you. And even those, Mount of Transfiguration, when he prays in the garden, these moments he chooses, the most earth-shaking moments in his ministry, he is very careful about who is with him. Who is at that moment? And so I think sometimes in our lives, we have taken people that should be in the crowd and we have placed them in the inner circle and we let them speak into our lives and they don't care one iota about our future, about what God has for us. You have to have people in your life who will support you wholeheartedly. And let me say, if you are going to have those people or you're going to be that person for somebody else, there is always a sacrifice that's involved. In fact, I believe this with all my heart. This is why we don't have as many close relationships as we should, because it requires something of us. 
That there's always this, this sacrifice that needs to do. If we're going to be in deep relationship, if we're going to help someone else fulfill their vision, if they're going to help us fulfill the one God has given us, we're going to have to make some sacrifices. And the sacrifice that day for the armor bearer is actually a really big one. Watch this. In chapter 13, the precursor to this war, watch what the Bible says. It says there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So watch this. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear, except for the guys in charge, Saul and Jonathan. Nobody had a real weapon except for Saul and Jonathan. And so when this armor bearer is like, you want the two of us to go and fight against the Philistines. Jonathan has a sword. This armor bearer is like, come on, baby, let's go. Like, I'm with you, heart and soul. Ali's got nothing on me. Like, we're, we're on this thing. I'm behind you. Didn't even have a real weapon. And he's like, I'm still in this. Can you imagine this guy? Like, Jonathan's got us. I'd have been like, how about you go ask your dad for a sword? Give it to me. He's like, no, you think this is what God wants us to do? I'm with you, heart and soul. I, I'm, I'm with you. Let's just, let's do this. is insane. The sacrifices that are needed. That's his sacrifice. I don't know what yours is or what the people around you, but to, to be in deep relationship. There's always a sacrifice that's necessary. There's risks that come. And so listen to me, the people that you choose, they don't have to be perfect. The most qualified, the most talented, the most gifted. They just have to be with you, heart and soul. They have to be with you. They have to support you. And you be there for them as well. And this story would not be in the Bible if not for Jonathan and his armor bearer. He's like, hey, come on, with you, heart and soul. God has designed us to be in relationship. He has designed us. And you need to realize the reality that there are some people that are with us wholeheartedly. And you have to get them around you. Because it will be the catalyst for everything else that happens in your life. And then number four, jot it down. You want some people who can propel you supernaturally. Because once you get people that challenge your perspective. And people that challenge your faith to grow. And get some people that support you wholeheartedly. What you will find is you go further than you ever thought possible. There's the old adage, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We are designed to be in relationships. What's so amazing about this story? Two people conquer an entire army. God uses the act of these two. By itself, this thing's not happening. This is not some great military plan. This is not some great, the power of love is going to conquer the army over there. This is God uses the actions of these two. This relationship that they're in, God uses it to turn the tide of the battle. God works through this moment. And honestly, turns the tide for the entire country. Watch this in verse 16. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah saw a strange sight. So this is right after this moment. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. God has called the chaos. And so Saul and all his men rushed to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. Come on, somebody. That's where I would have been in it. Terrible confusion everywhere. And even the Hebrews who had previously gone over, they're like, hey, the Israelites are winning. Here we come back. I don't know about these fickle people, but they, they take them back. They come over, joined in with Saul and Jonathan and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, even the men who went running back, even the men hiding in the hills, even the ones who gave up, joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. And so the Lord saved Israel that day. Because of the bravery and the, because of Jonathan and the armor bearer. Two guys in relationships who decide to step out and do something. And it says the Lord saved Israel. I believe God has some brave acts for us to accomplish. I believe God has some wild steps of faith that honestly will be the catalyst. 
you say, I'm praying for revival, would be the catalyst for revival. I'm praying for my family, would be the catalyst for your family. I'm praying for our city or our country, would be the catalyst. I believe God has called us to relationships that would turn the tide, that he would be at work. But it can't happen if we give up on each other. If we let ourselves stay in isolation. If we try and live life in this place of seclusion, if we say, I got mine and I'll do it on my own. If we live like that, the catalyst will never come. It will never happen. You got to have people in your life. It's why we have, and just bear with me for a moment. It's why we have, by the way, a brand new semester. That next step you need to take is literally just like a little piece of paper sitting on your chair. It's why we do life together as a church. It's why I will never give up telling you how important it is that you are with other believers, that you are surrounding yourself. You say, well, I need those relationships. They are right here. You say, well, I just can't find that. It is right here. There's a moment that you have to gather around yourselves. And I don't care if it's playing cards or it's playing a sport or it's studying the book of Jude. I, I don't care what it is. You get people around you that support you, that propel you, that grow your faith. That is how you live out the calling God has for your life. This is a moment for you. And there's always obstacles to things that God wants to do. And so trying to find meaningful relationships will have obstacles as well. Last thing the devil wants is for you to have people around you that strengthen and hold you up in the moments and carry you through seasons. Last thing he wants, there will be obstacles to it. Always trying to sell you lies. The devil will always try to take you out of the fight. But listen to me, you have to have them. And so this is the moment. A moment we have to make some new relations. On the other side, to take this step. And on the other side of this step, you will find relationships. I promise you, you will find these characteristics we talked about today. If you can find friends like that, it will be the key. It will be the key to seeing God move in your life. The way you always dreamed of. The way that you pray for. The way you wish your life could be. Having these people around you. I promise you, this is the step we need to take. To see God move in our lives. You bow your heads with me in prayer today. God, I thank you that you have allowed us to live together in community. Father, I thank you for this church. God, that we have so many people in here. Lord, that rally around each other. I thank you that you have called us to live in community. And so I pray, let us find those relationships. Let us take advantage of small groups, God. Let us take advantage of this moment that we have. That if we don't have those who are surrounding us, with your words of truth surrounding us with your strength and your encouragement that we would take this step to find them and Lord I pray for our church that we would take the steps needed to be that person for someone else that we would look and see who can I encourage who can I uplift who can I wholeheartedly protect and support who can I propel who can I be in relationship with So Lord, I pray again over our groups this semester that you would bless the relationships that are formed. Now as we keep praying, church, one more invitation I want to give. And maybe that you're here today and you listen to the message and you love this idea. You're like, relationships are great. I'd love to be in relationships, but all of mine are broken. And you say, hey, I'd love for God to do something supernaturally in my life, but my relationship with Him is broken. And listen, I I don't know how you got where you are. I don't know. People run for all different reasons. 
Maybe you were in a relationship that hurt you. And so you ran. And maybe you let that thing grow and that hurt fester. And so you push people away until one day you push God away. And maybe you're far from him today, but listen to me. If you're in this room, you're watching online. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far you think you've gone. Listen to me. God has never given up on you. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And God still wants you. But if you're at that place where you're saying, I'd love to see my relationships healed. Listen to me. The catalyst for that is that you first repair your relationship with him. And there's nothing we can do to make that right. The Bible's clear about this. There's nothing we can do. It says that God himself can heal that bridge. And the way he did that is incredible. Listen to me. The way that he healed the brokenness between us and him. The brokenness that we caused. You say, well, I did this and I did that. Listen to me. All of us caused the brokenness that was between us and God. But it says that God sent his only son, Jesus, to live on this earth, to live a perfect life, to die in our place, that his blood would cover over our sins, that Jesus would stand as the bridge from us back to the Father, that Jesus would repair the gap that we had caused by our sin. And the Bible says he died on that cross, the perfect son of God, so we could have forgiveness, but he didn't stay dead. He raised back to life three days later. So anyone, the Bible says, anyone, you, anyone, including me, anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. You want to see your relationship with God restored. You want to see your sins forgiven. You want to see your life be made brand new. It starts with the forgiveness of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. He loves you so much that he died for you. And right now, right now, you can accept that forgiveness. And listen to me, I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not looking to make you raise your hand or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I'm saying right now, you can choose to follow him. Right now, your eternity can be secure. And so I would love to pray with you. Our church has dedicated ourselves. We will pray this prayer with every person who ever wants to pray it. It's what we are here for. And we can give you the words and we can pray it with you, but you have to say it and you have to meet it for yourself. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of dedicating our lives to him. But if you say that's me, if you say, I want to make that decision today, pray this with us. And come on church, nobody prays alone. Say these words with us. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name and father one last time we thank you for the relationships that we have in our lives we thank you for our friends that will support us that will challenge us to be all that you have called us to be we thank you that they will see the vision that you put in our hearts and today God we ask you surround us surround us with those friends God that you have chosen that can speak life into us that can recognize all that you've called us to be. And God, I pray a special prayer also over the parents, God, that we would speak that for our children, that we would recognize the greatness and the potential. And God, you would give us the strength and the words and the wisdom to call it out of them. 
to show them all that you have planned for their lives. I pray a blessing over... I pray a blessing over this small group semester, God, as we meet together in all different areas, all different walks, all different days, all different locations. God, I just pray a blessing over these relationships that we will grow stronger as a church, that we would love one another, that we would lift one another, that we would protect and guard and encourage. And Lord, you have called us to go further together than we could ever possibly imagine. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's church said, Amen and Amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what He's done today? Hey, last invitation.